Hello, friends. Today is November 29th, and this is the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast, where each day we read successive portions through both the Old and New Testaments, and we highlight landmark events to help you understand the big picture, the unifying theme of all 66 books that make up the Bible. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher here at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and I'm pleased to have been on this journey with you for 333 days this year. We are in some exciting sections of both the Old and New Testaments today. In our Old Testament readings, we have already seen how Daniel's prophecies anticipated the coming of the kingdom that would conquer all kingdoms, the kingdoms of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and its mixture. The kingdom of this world shall become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. Throughout the Old Testament, the prophets keep the anticipated work of Christ on earth in view, especially his crucifixion and resurrection, for these events represent the fulcrum of history, the great turning point where God accomplishes the work of salvation. The Old Testament anticipates Christ's completion of the work of redemption and in the present era, we look back upon it. We also look forward to the consummation of his work when Christ will come again and when there will be a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, we will be reading about that today in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, we'll be reading of another significant event in the life of the prophet Daniel. Daniel pays the price for his obedience to the word of God. His resolve to continually look to Christ, symbolically figured by his turning at least three times a day in prayer towards the temple in Jerusalem, costs him dearly. Jerusalem is the placeholder for where God's righteousness would be satisfied on his behalf in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the center stage of redemption. The Babylonian administrators saw Daniel's devotion to God's plan of redemption as a direct violation of the law of the land and therefore worthy of being punished by being thrown into the lion's den. Daniel is delivered from the sentence of death by the hand of the Lord, prefiguring the deliverance of the believer who looks to Christ. I'm reminded of the words we read in the Apostle Paul's second letter to the Corinthians concerning the trustworthiness of our deliverer. He writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. Let's read Daniel chapter 6 together, and I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Daniel and the Lion's Den Daniel chapter 6 It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault, because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, 
We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document, so that it cannot be changed, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber opened toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction? that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then, at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. 
Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And this concludes our reading from today's portion from the Old Testament from the book of Daniel. What can we learn from this passage? We see Daniel's character is a model of excellence. He is a man with an excellent spirit, an excellent attitude. Daniel so distinguished himself by his exceptional qualities that Darius the Mede wanted to give him authority over the whole kingdom. This made the governors, administrators, and officials of the provinces jealous. They did not want to have their jobs inspected by this man. Perhaps they had gotten away with pilfering and corruption prior to this. Daniel was a man of integrity and would require that officials be honest in all their dealings. They did not want to have Daniel rule over them. They conspired to put Daniel out of office by finding some fault in him. Yet his professional conduct was beyond reproach. They could not find any character flaw in him that they might bring to the knowledge of the king. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit, and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. What a great reputation Daniel had. The king recognized that Daniel continually served his God. His attitude and his work bore the mark of excellence and was a testimony to his living faith. The only way the jealous administrators and satraps could bring a charge against Daniel was to create a Persian law that would violate Daniel's disciplined adherence to the law of his God. Daniel was known to be a man of prayer. He had a habit of praying three times a day, in the morning, at noon, and at night, in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, and verse 13. It was his custom to pray in his palace window that faced Jerusalem, in accordance with God's word. Solomon urged his people at the dedication of the temple to pray towards Jerusalem, no matter where they were, but especially if they were being taken away captive. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 46-49, through 49, we read, When they sin against you, for there is no man who does not sin, and you are angry with them and deliver them to an enemy, so that they take them away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near, if they take thought in the land where they have been taken captive, and repent, and make supplication to you in the land of those who have taken them captive, saying, We have sinned and have committed iniquity, we have acted wickedly, if they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who have taken them captive, and pray to you toward their land, which you have given to their fathers, the city which you have chosen, and the house which I have built for your name, then hear their prayer and their supplication in heaven, your dwelling place, and maintain their cause. Daniel was in his eighties, and yet for almost seven decades he has been away from Jerusalem, and most likely had kept this habit of praying three times a day at a window in his house that faced toward Jerusalem, as Solomon requested. 
So the administrators proposed that the king make a law forbidding anyone to make a petition or pray to any god or man but the king. Any who violate this law should be thrown into the lion's den and killed. This was a premeditated trap that assuredly would put Daniel to death for his prayer life and his refusal to worship the king. These wicked men misrepresent the case to Darius. They falsely claim that all the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and governors have consulted together and recommend that the king outlaw any petition or prayer that is made to any man or god besides the king. The truth is that there was a very important man in the king's government who had not been complicit to this request, the one he had proposed to rule over all the kingdom, Daniel. King Darius foolishly put the law into writing. The king's word, according to the law of the Persians and Medes, was final and irreversible. This put the king in an awkward spot when the administrators barged in on Daniel and found him praying to his God. Daniel knew about the law, but like Peter and John, he could not obey a law that was in opposition to the law of God. Men ought always to pray to the one true God. Acts chapter 4, verse 18 through 20 reads, And when they, the religious rulers in Jerusalem, had summoned them, the apostles, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. The administrators bring their report of Daniel's disobedience to the king and speak of Daniel in condescending terms. Instead of speaking of Daniel with respect as the highly esteemed appointee of the king, they refer to Daniel as one of the exiles, and they lie about his motive, saying to the king, He pays no attention to you. The king tries in vain to find a loophole that would prevent Daniel from being thrown into the lion's den. Unable to find an alternative solution and to ensure that the law be upheld, the king throws Daniel into the lion's den, saying, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was put over the mouth of the lion's den with an official seal upon it from the king, prohibiting anyone from the outside rescuing Daniel from the hungry lions. The king was so distressed that he could not sleep and refused every offer of entertainment. The next morning, at the first light of dawn, he returns to the mouth of the den and calls out to Daniel to see if he is alive. When he had come near to the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Daniel chapter 6 verse 20. Notice how the king repeatedly references the upright character of Daniel and the fact that he serves his God continually. What a powerful testimony. The king rejoices to hear Daniel reply that he is safe. He assures the king that his safety was not because of anything that he did to stop the lion's mouths, but it was God who saved him and vindicated his innocence. God sent an angel, and it was he who shut the mouths of the lions. The Lord is the hero of the story. The king is overjoyed, and Daniel is lifted out of the lion's den, whereas the men who falsely accused Daniel are thrown into the lion's den with their families and quickly killed by the lions. King Darius 
then issues a command to all the people in every part of the kingdom to reverence the God of Daniel. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Daniel chapter 6, verse 28. Now let's move on to our next stop in our Bible reading tour. We are going to the New Testament and we will be reading from Peter's second epistle, chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. The day of the Lord will come. Second Peter chapter 3. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Final Words Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. This concludes today's portion from the New Testament and it also concludes our reading of Peter's second epistle. Once again, Peter reminds his readers that all that God has promised certainly will come to pass. People may mock the fact that Christ has not yet returned as he promised and say, where is his coming? But Peter reminds them that when Noah was preaching of God's imminent judgment of a coming flood and that he has provided a way of salvation, people were saying, where is the rain? But the rain came, and by that time the door was shut. 
as the world of Noah's day was reserved for a judgment by flood, this present world is reserved for a judgment by fire. This coming judgment is a certainty. God is not slow concerning His promise. A day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 The rhetorical question is asked, Since this is going to happen to the earth, how should we then live? Peter answers that we ought to live holy and godly lives. We should be looking forward to the new heavens and new earth, the home of righteousness. Therefore, live in anticipation of that kind of home life. Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. God's patience is for our good. He is not willing that any should perish. Peter affirms the inspiration of the writings of Paul and credits them as Holy Scripture. He admits that Paul's letters contain truths that may be hard for some to understand and that some distort his teaching to their own destruction. Paul focused on the message of salvation. Salvation is a free gift made available to repentant sinners by grace through faith. Peter preached this same message to a predominantly Jewish audience, emphasizing how the Christian faith is expressed in Christian service. The false teachers distorted Paul's teaching, turning it into a message of mere affirmation rather than transformation. They taught that it did not matter how you behaved if you are saved by grace. Yet Paul taught that grace teaches us to deny ungodliness in Titus chapter 2, verse 12. The false teachers twisted Paul's teaching to condone lawlessness and moral laxity. People like to have their favorite sins justified, such as covetousness, greed, living for self, and sensual pleasure and idolatry. Paul contradicts these distortions in his letter to the Romans. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Romans chapter 6 verse 15. Peter says, Be on your guard against these false teachers and grow in the grace and the true knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. Now we move on to our next stop in our Bible reading excursion, the book of Psalms, and we are reading from Psalm 119, verses 129 through 152. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears, because people do not keep your law. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me, because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried, and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. 
With my whole heart I cry. Answer me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night, that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Psalm 119 is one of my favorites, and verse 130 is particularly cherished. The unfolding or the entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple or those who make room for it. The psalmist experiences both awe and anguish as he reads the word. The word of God illuminates his understanding. This light brings transformation in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Understanding leads to a deeper desire. I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. Psalm 119, verse 131. Understanding also leads to a love for God and the deepening of our love relationship with Him. Turn to me and be gracious to me after your manner with those who love your name. Verse 132. The revelation of God's love in the Word leads to liberty. Establish my footsteps in your word, and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from the oppression of man, that I may keep your precepts. Verses 133-134 through 134. And now for our final stop in our Bible reading excursion today, we go to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 28, verses 21 and 22. To show partiality is not good, but for a piece of bread a man will do wrong. A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. Verse 21 teaches that partiality sabotages justice, yet human beings are easily tempted to violate their consciences to do wrong in order to meet basic needs, such as hunger. We are warned that to show partiality for any reason is not good and is punishable. A man with an evil eye is a description of a stingy person in verse 22, and stinginess inevitably leads to poverty. It is implied that a man's stinginess leads him to sin, and sin will be punished. Now let's pray together in the light of God's Word. Remember, the entrance of His Word gives light and gives understanding to the simple. Lord, our confidence is in You. You have made a way for us where there was no way. You have provided a full and free salvation through your Son's finished work of redemption. By the blood of Christ, you have closed the mouths of lions. You have silenced the accuser of the brethren. No one can lay charge to your elect. We are grateful for every opportunity to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Send forth your truth and your light. Give us fresh understanding, liberating us from the satanic hold of this world system and its deceitful lies. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, I hope you have been enriched by what we have seen reading through the Scriptures today, and God willing, we'll be with you tomorrow. If you have any questions or comments, you can always write to us. We'd love to know how you are doing, and you can contact us by email by writing podcast at newlife.org. 
And if you'd like to receive a written copy of our commentary on each day's portion, you can subscribe by going to our website, newlife.org. And there you can learn about our ministries and how you can be a support to our mission. Now may the God of all grace strengthen you, comfort you, and equip you for every circumstance and relationship that you face this day. In Jesus' name, thanks for listening. Shalom. Shalom.